I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The winding up of Woodford. Hundreds of thousands of investors with money trapped in the gated Woodford Equity Income Fund found out this week that the fund was to be liquidated. Neil Woodford, hitherto the most famous fund manager in the city, was to be sacked and that money eventually would be returned to them. We'll be bringing you a full report on this podcast about how investors have reacted and what they can do and how much money they're likely to get back and when. Secondly, the most expensive bus journey in the world. £476 and a criminal conviction was what my colleague Jemima Kelly of Alphaville had to pay when she got on a bus, paid on her iPhone and then the battery ran out. She's here to talk about the sensational piece that she wrote in FT Money last week and the huge reader reaction, not just from FT readers, it has prompted. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's personal finance editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. The investment world has been rocked by the news this week that the Woodford Equity Income Fund, which had attracted billions of pounds from all kinds of investors, but been especially popular with retail investors, is now to be liquidated. Neil Woodford, Britain's most high-profile fund manager, has his reputation left in tatters. He's also resigned um, from Patient Capital Trust and his Income Focus Fund, which today, at the time of recording the podcast, has also been gated. So a disastrous end, it seems, to his investment career. Now, I'm joined in the FT Money studio by Matthew Vincent, uh, the newspaper's Lombard um, columnist, and many of you will remember um, my one of my forerunners as the editor of FT Money. Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's, it's good to be here, although the circumstances are, are not quite so good. No, I mean, this is not a happy story for many people listening. I mean, it has stunned the city and the fund management community um, that the fund is to be liquidated. And I think we both agree it's going to alter the retail investment landscape in Britain for good. It's going to, I think, fundamentally change public perception of fund management and not in a good way. And this is perhaps the biggest worry about uh, this debacle. As you point out, Neil Woodford, he was the highest profile fund manager in the UK. In fact, he was the only fund manager that if you walk down the street and ask people, they could they could possibly name. There was no one else of his stature or uh, uh, reputation, a reputation that was, we should be fair, was well won during his time at Invesco Perpetual. Uh, he became the poster boy for 
so-called active fund management, i.e. picking stocks rather than just putting money into a stock market index um, mm. and seeing how it performs. So his failure and the liquidation of his flagship fund, the suspension of his uh, of his other fund, and now his his resignation from all of them, is really, I think, going to make people doubt the ability of active fund managers who really are the people that we rely on if we don't want to take a passive or index-based approach for building up our savings, for providing our our pensions. Uh, And if people are put off investing in stock market funds because of what's happened here, that is a very, very worrying possibility. Now, I mean, the obvious question that everyone wants to know is how much could retail investors with money um, tied up in the, the, the equity income fund lose? And it's very hard to answer. I mean, if we go on the facts of, of, of what we know, the most recent valuation of that fund, which had performed very poorly in recent years anyway, so they may well have been sitting on a loss before um, it was gated, um, it has fallen around 20% um, on the valuations which are still being published um, on the LINK website since um, the the gating um, came in. But of course, that doesn't mean that investors will get back what their holdings were worth on the on the day it was suspended minus 20%. You will also have the pressure um, that um, BlackRock and the investment bank who've been appointed to liquidate those funds are going to face finding buyers. Now, Mr Woodford himself has been trying to find buyers for the um, particularly illiquid and um, unquoted and uh, Gersey listed holdings um, for, for some time. He hasn't been successful, which is why um, these liquidators have been have been appointed to speed things up. But it has to, um, I mean, as an investor, I would fear that um, any pressure to sell things um, in, in a hurry is going to affect the price that can be achieved on those investments. And of course, then on top of that, investors are also on the hook for the professional fees um, that those two bodies are going to charge um, for, for winding up the fund. And of course, since June, they have still been paying um, an investment management fee um, to Woodford, which lots of them are very angry about. Yes, that's right. You, you, you've pretty much identified the, the four reasons why this fund is likely to fall in value further. Firstly, it had these illiquid, unlisted, or in some cases, Guernsey-listed uh, Holdings, they are very hard to value. They are also very hard to sell. Um, They are likely to be worth a lot less because of the reputational damage that uh, has been done to them by being held uh, in Woodford funds. Secondly, you have the fact that the liquidators of the Woodford Equity Income Fund are now saying to the entire market, Yes, everything we have here is uh, is up for sale. This is effectively a fire sale of uh, uh, of the assets. They won't they won't rush into it. They will try to be res- responsible as they can. That's their that's their job. They'll try to get the best price possible. But when every single buyer knows you have to sell, you're not going to get a terribly good price. Then, of course, um, there is the issue of the professional fees that you mention, uh, and the fourth, the fact that a management fee has been paying that has angered lots of people uh, over the past few months while it's been paid. The only good thing is, as of Monday, those fees have stopped being paid. So that, that that's the one factor that is not going to reduce the value of the fund. But the other three factors almost certainly will. 
and certainly politicians have been putting pressure on, on, on Woodford Asset Management for some time now to um, cancel his fees. Now, I'm going to read out a couple of um, reader emails that we've had. Um, anyone listening who wants to send us in their views if they're trapped in the Woodford Fund or you know, have views, just repeat our email address, money at ft.com. Um, you know, we'd, love, we'd love to hear from you. We don't have to publish your comments, but we always want to know what our readers are thinking. Um, but this is just a small selection um, FT Money readers who've contacted me in the last 24 hours. Um, one, um, I'll call her Heather. She says, I'm an investor in that shark, Woodford's funds, with a chunk of my sip, my self-invested personal passion, in his wretched jaws. Um, I mean, the language there just giving you... Uh, you know, an, an idea of how angry people feel. But contrary um, to press reports, investors would have received um, communication about yesterday's events. I have had no communication about it and had to find out via the media. So obviously anger about how the information was um, communicated. She um, hopes that somebody will be prosecuted for something and has his own wealth stripped from him. I mean, this is another issue. Woodford himself is not, um, uh, you know, he, obviously his reputation is in tatters. It's his investment management um company it looks like is 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 finished but you know he is still a very wealthy man and uh, i think in the coming uh, weeks and months that certainly is going to play out and i think that will increase uh, the pressure on him to return uh, money to um, investors in forms of the fees he's taken but heather also says hargreaves lansdowne have been exposed as incompetent. And I have to say, she's not the only reader who is taking issue with Hargreaves Lansdowne. Another reader, David, has emailed in saying Hargreaves Lansdowne should be fined for pulling the wool over eyes of HL customers who invested in Woodford. And the fine should be used to compensate those investors. Obviously, Hargreaves Lansdowne have already um, appeared in front of MPs and have been quizzed by uh, the FCA about the power of the best buy list, the Wealth 50 list, which continued uh, to recommend the Woodford Equity Income Fund up to the day um, of its suspension. Just one final um, email from another reader, Diner, who says that she has her sip with Hargreaves Lansdowne and had, yes, invested in the Woodford Equity Income Fund. But she says, I got out early as it seemed obvious that it wasn't doing well. I will say that it's not the only fund that Hargreaves has plugged quite hard. Quite a few of the funds on their Wealth 50 list seem pretty unappealing if you look at performance and investments. And it's highly questionable why they carry on promoting them. So a lot of anger being directed at the brokerage world as well as Mr Woodford himself. Yes, and I think that the anger that is being directed uh, at brokers, investment platforms, Hargreaves, Lansdowne in particular, is entirely justified. Because even though best buy lists are perfectly reasonable things to produce, the FCA, the regulator, says that they can help in some cases... They are clearly the main reason that 300,000 people or thereabouts are trapped in the Woodford Fund, unable to access their money uh, and hoping to get a fraction of it back. And the way in which Hargreaves Lansdowne operates its best buy list must now really come under scrutiny. Hargreaves itself has said it is reviewing its list. But this has gone on for years. I can remember back in 2011, I went down to Bristol. When you were the money editor. When I was the money editor. Mm. I, I got the train from Paddington, went down to Bristol to take them to task about best buy lists, because I did not think the way in which they were constructed and the funds that appeared on the list was necessarily the right way to be going about it. They weren't doing anything wrong in terms of regulation, but I thought that at the time... 
the somewhat restricted universe of funds that they were offering at the time it was it was funds that were able to offer a rebate to Hargreaves Lansdowne nowadays it's tends to be almost 100% of the cases uh, it is funds that are able to offer a discount to Hargreaves Lansdowne customers to make it attractive is arguably not the way to get the best possible funds for an investor's needs. This has to change, and it has to be the regulator that makes the change. Hargreaves, I suspect, will review its uh, its policy, but the regulator has, has got to act. So I see that there is responsibility on both their, uh, their parts. The regulator has also got to address issues of liquidity. Now, the fact that you've got funds that hold unlisted unquoted investments you can't sell on a, uh, on a uh, on a on a stock exchange and they're also able to use the rules to take illiquid unlisted investments that are very difficult to sell when people want their money back and go and have them listed in places like guernsey which doesn't make them any easier to sell but does allow them to tick the box and say this is all perfectly okay and they don't even have to inform the regulator and the regulator does not expect to be informed uh, of this happening. So you you have these things going going on that are um, not in the interests of the investors and not being followed up on by uh, the regulator. And it's incredibly hard uh, for people who've put their money in, put their life savings in, to know what's going on. So two big failings on the part of both the intermediaries, uh, especially Hargreaves Lansdowne, uh, and the regulator. What about Mr. Woodford himself? And I understand why people look at his riches uh, and feel that he's uh, responsible for providing some sort of recompense. The difficulty there is that technically he hasn't really done anything terribly wrong unless the FCA were to investigate and uh, uh, and find uh, some wrongdoing. The, the management fees that he charged were for the running of the company and the paying of the you know, electricity bill and the employment and the of the staff. staff. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite clear that even those management fees weren't enough to um, uh, to, to cover the, the costs because there were 55 people who've left his employment um, in the last couple of years. So he wasn't really making a huge profit uh, on the management fees. He did make very big profits in the past. Um, since he set up his firm, he has taken uh, dividends worth approximately, I think, sixty million, based on his share of the ownership of the company. But then these are dividends from when the company was actually doing quite well, and people were um, were liking what he was doing and, and, and giving him their money to uh, to manage. So it's difficult to to see a way that that can be clawed back. It's not like a bonus, not like a banker's bonus that can be clawed back. Um, these are profits that he as the owner of the company can take as dividends. I suspect that there will be legal actions brought that will attempt to seek financial recompense, uh, but those will have to go through the courts unless, of course, the regulator finds some way to intervene. 
Well, and obviously the FT will be staying right on top of that story, um, a very fast-moving story as um, developments happen. Now, let's talk finally a little bit about the practicalities of how investors with money trapped in the fund um, can uh, see about getting any of their money back. Now, a lot of information was published yesterday. We have um, written all of this up in FT Money. It will also be in this Saturday's um, edition of the FT Weekend newspaper. So investors who have money trapped in the fund, the good news is you don't need to do anything or register or apply to um, get your money back. The way in which you invested through the fund, if it was through an intermediary like uh, an investment platform or um, a financial advisor, will be the way that your money is um, returned to you as link um, and the administrators start to sell down the assets in that portfolio. Now, that process, we are told, will begin in mid-January, and Link expects to pay out the first tranche um, of of refunds to investors by the end of that month. However, as we understand, that's not going to be the end of it. This this process could go on maybe for up to a year um, as things are sold, as Matthew said, in an orderly um, fashion because some of these assets are very hard to sell. Now, another fact that we've been able to clarify um, for our readers and listeners um, is that the refund for tax purposes, if you held um, your investment, as many of the readers we heard from uh, did in an ISA or a SIP, the money will be returned to that tax wrapper. Um, So that means that you will get the money back into your SIP or ISA account and you will then be able to reinvest it in something else. You won't lose the tax protections um, afforded to that money. If you didn't have it within a tax wrapper, it will just be returned to you and for tax purposes, it will be treated as a sale. However, as we've spoken about the losses uh, that the fund has um, suffered, it looks unlikely that anybody would really face too much of a capital gains tax um, liability. But I mean, Matthew, just to 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 wrap up i mean investors must just be feeling sick at the prospects of this yes um i think they have good reason to be extremely annoyed uh we've mentioned the role of intermediaries and best buy lists that's that's something that i think uh they can justifiably uh feel some anger about i think they can certainly feel that Neil Woodford um, was not wholly transparent about um, the purpose of his fund. He called it the Woodford Equity Income Fund. In many respects, it was becoming the opposite of that. It was becoming unlisted, so in other words, sort of you know, non-conventional equity investments. And they, these were investments for long-term growth, not income. So that was uh, not helpful uh, to investments. Uh, Sorry, again. That was not helpful to investors. And I think his inability or unwillingness to change direction when things were going wrong, when his investment picks were underperforming, when there were 21 consecutive months of people taking their money out, a loss of confidence in his fund, and he just did not acknowledge it or or change what he was doing is another reason uh, to be extremely disappointed uh, in his actions. And then finally, the fact that when faced with a portfolio full of unlisted investments that were losing value, his solution was to try to make things look okay by using this 
Guernsey listing uh, tactic really did push the rules to the limit. So justifiable anger on the part of investors for all of those reasons. Well, thank you very much, Matthew Vincent, the FT's Lombard commentator, for joining us on the podcast today. If you would like to get in touch with us about this story, you can email the Money Team. Our email address is money at ft.com. We would love to hear from you. When my colleague Jemima Kelly stepped on a bus many months ago and used her iPhone to tap and pay for the fare, little was she to know the trouble it would land her in. She wrote in the FT Money section last week about how when her phone ran out of battery, this set in motion a chain of events which ended up with her receiving a £476 fine and a criminal conviction. Now, the story has been picked up by pretty much every national newspaper in Britain. Um, Jemima has been on the BBC News, um, talking about what happened to her. And we knew it was a good story, Jemima, didn't we, when we published it. But I have to say, the scale of the reaction to this, to my mind, is because everyone reading it is thinking, this could have happened to me. Yeah, I mean, I've been... um... I've been quite surprised by by being splashed over the tabloids. Um, I couldn't have predicted it, but as you say, it's it seems to be something that uh, that everyone can relate to. And if they can't relate, they can feel pleased with themselves for being so organised that this would never happen to them, because obviously they would never be found tapping into a bus uh, with a phone that then subsequently ran out. Now, before we go into the nitty gritty of this, anyone who's been hiding under a rock um, for the past week, who hasn't read your column or, or seen the reaction to it, just take me through, um, you know, the, the truncated story of what happened. So you get on the bus, your iPhone okay, yes, had about 20%, I, you press to right, pay. Exactly. I tapped in with my iPhone using Apple Pay, sat down. Um, I think, as you say, I think my bus was at about 20%, but unfortunately... My uh, sorry, my iPhone was at about twenty percent, uh, but unfortunately, it often just runs out kind of whenever it feels feels like it, and this was actually one of those occasions. So um, it was only about five minutes later that a ticket inspector got on the bus, and my phone had run out of battery. Um, he then said that he was going to have to. I was explained what had happened, but he said he'd have to um, ask for some details, and so I gave him my details, and I didn't really think anything more of it. I assumed that they were going to write to me, and I was going to have to pay a penalty fare. Uh, I didn't ever get a letter about a penalty fare. Now, TfL say that they did actually, they have a record of printing out a letter about a penalty fare, but I never received that uh, that letter. And so the next letter that I received was uh, at the end of December telling me that I had been charged with a TfL offence, which I subsequently discovered was a criminal offence, um, which was not having been able to provide um, a ticket. So you were absolutely stunned by this. I mean, this also cost you more money um, than that fine because you were due to fly to the US, part yes. for work, part for leisure reasons. And when you went in to get your US visa. Yes. Yeah. So um, I uh, and one of the people, one of the things that people have been saying in the comments, some people is that, you know, you shouldn't have booked a flight without having a visa. And that is partly true. But because it was, well, it, it's kind of true. Uh, that's a good lesson, you know, that to, to, for me to, to learn. learn after the event. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, I would like to point out that actually it was a because it was a work trip. It actually took quite a long time getting signed off, so I'd had to kind of. The, the, I didn't have quite as, lo- as long as I would have liked. We had a kind of need to fill um, a, a kind of uh, a vacancy temporarily in New York. So this was so it was all a bit last minute, and I had actually give, you know I did never I did have about a month to get this visa, which would normally be enough time. But the problem was I was then told by. Uh, 
immigration lawyers that if I didn't tell them, I'd, I actually sought advice about this because another one of the responses is that, oh my goodness, why did you tell them about this silly conviction? Like, you know, you could have just got away with it. But if I tried to do that, it could have obviously the, the consequences could have been much worse. So I actually did seek legal advice and was told to tell them. And it wasn't that I wasn't given a visa. It was that the US embassy said they then needed a full police records check. And that then took several more weeks by which stage I'd missed the flights and they were non-refundable and non-exchangeable. <laughs> okay. So it was a big disaster. So before we go into the, the into the reader comments and the reaction of this story, like people who are listening to the podcast, thinking, goodness, if this happened to me, how could I prevent this happening? Now, th- there were a f- there were a few funny things, um, like obviously we talked about letters going going missing, um, but also the fact that you changed bank account. Yeah. And another thing that could have helped you, had you known, was registering your yes, card indeed. on the TfL website. And that is your kind of key takeaway for any reader um, or listener who uses um, Apple Pay or um, Android Pay Absolutely. And, and I'm glad to see that a lot of the a lot of the readers have said that since reading this, they have now reg- registered their card. I, I personally think that TFL shouldn't really be accepting um, cards if if you know that aren't registered. And why if, why was this such a crucial point? In well, your case? so so for, in my case, um, I was told when I got this this um, letter telling me that I'd been charged that if I just call uh, if I just got a copy of my bank statement and sent it to this prosecution's email address, TFL Prosecutions, um, that they would drop it. And and so I did that. And as you say, I'd actually switched bank account. So my other tip is, and I again, maybe I should have thought about this. Uh, if you switch bank accounts, which can be a very good thing to do because you can get £100 as I did bonus for, for switching, download your statements from the previous bank for like a year or whenever, you know, a time period that seems like you, you might, if, you, if, you, if you're going to have to refer back, I hadn't realised that it would be so difficult getting a bank statement from a previous bank account. Um, and it was, it kind of, that, that kind of delayed the whole thing by by a few weeks, mm. um, so that was so that was one of the the problems. And then um, when you got the statement, it just said you and, know yeah, five pounds sixty exactly. It said it adds up six pounds eighty, which at the time was the cap for a zone one and two travel card. So I was like, hooray! There's no way that they can say that I haven't paid because I paid the six pounds eighty that day. That's the full amount. So I kind of sent them sent this off triumphantly, and they said that's not actually enough evidence because you didn't get a breakdown. So even though I, I was in zone two on that bus. And so I thought this would be enough because I couldn't have spent more than that in Zones 1 and 2 that day, but it wasn't enough because I didn't have an actual breakdown. And the only way you can get that breakdown of each and every journey that you've taken is by registering the card or by just using an Oyster card and not doing this in the first place, using a phone. And and, and I would add, boring girl guide tip, when you do register... Um, even your contactless card, you know, you register the card, it could be used in Apple Pay, could be used um, just as a normal contactless swipe. Um, it's much easier for TFL to issue you with refunds if you've made a mistake um, and tapped in or tapped out incorrectly, which happens to me quite yeah. a lot, um, especially at busy times when you get kind of hustled um, yeah. through gates. And it's the case now where a lot of those refunds can be done either automatically or online, where it used to be the case that you have to phone up and wait on hold for ages to, you know, get your money back. And we're talking about, you know, five or six pounds a time sometimes yeah. that you get overcharged because they say, well, what's the maximum journey you, you could have made? And uh, the, the figure goes up and down year by year. But there is millions and millions of pounds owing to commuters that this has happened to. And because they're not logging into the accounts, they don't know that they've made yeah. um, a mistake. So that's, even more that's reason. another good point. Yeah, I agree. And I've actually experienced that, you know, having a huge kind of um, fee taken out at the end of the day because I must have accidentally, you know, not tapped in or not tapped out on a tube. 
Um, so yeah, that's another. So I'm now con- reconsidering my um, my decision. But I've still I still at this point haven't aren't I'm not using an Oyster card partly just because I personally find having lots and lots of cards and getting them out. I find it very that I find I find I lose things to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I love your honesty, Joanna. You're such a lovely colleague um, to to have. And I must say, lots of the reader comments, like you said, were. Um, very grateful. People saying, oh, you know, I didn't realise that this could be could be such a problem. Thank you for alerting me to this. Thank you for alerting me to that. But um, lots of the other comments, um, both on the FT story and in the, um, the Daily Mail picks it up, the Mirror picks it up, were from people saying, you should have charged your phone. Yes, that was the most common, uh, that was the most common criticism, which is obviously the most obvious and, 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 some, and in some ways a fair one. However, uh, I would just like to say that I had charged my phone, but I'd been out and about all day. I didn't think that I was going to have to tap out. You don't tap out on a bus. No. So on like a tube where you do actually need to have enough battery to get back off, you don't need to with a bus. So I didn't realise that would be a problem. And also, if you're going to have to carry around a power bank, which I've now invested in, about five companies have got in touch with me saying that they will give me power bank, the supply of power banks for life. <laughs> I know, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, you're the flag bearer that, for the you power bank generation. That. Well, yes, you do, and and you also have to remember to take it out. And with you have you. to remember, and so and then once you start thinking about all of this, you know, the charger for the power bank, the power bank itself, the cable that attaches the power bank to the phone, you might as well just carry around a wallet, which would be a lot lighter and a lot less hard to forget. One of my favourites, one of the, the most awful comments um, on the bottom of the Daily Mail um, story, because actually, as you say on Alphaville, nobody does a comment section quite like the Daily Mail. Uh, one of their readers says, you're over-protesting your innocence, my lovely, by even going as far as taking it to the media. You knew exactly what you intended to do. And if you think you can pull the wool over mine or anyone else's eyes here, then you really need to be speaking to a counsellor, because I'm sure this is far from an isolated incident. Now, this touches on one of the really strange things in the in, in the follow-up stories you were described even by the BBC mm. as a bus passenger yes. rather than an FT journalist yeah it was very odd I was described variously as just woman or bus passenger but never journalist and um, the Sun said she told the Financial Times they actually late, later corrected that because I tweeted tweeted it and they must have spotted it um, but it was very odd and someone said maybe it's because journalists don't like writing about other journalists I'm not sure mm. what that was about but it was a it was a strange thing that a lot of people didn't seem to realize um, that I was an actual journalist myself but um, yes no that was that was a that was a funny comment particularly because he said it was or Sorry, I'm assuming it was a he. I know it might be a woman. I'm sure it was. No, I, I have no idea. Um, uh, my lovely. Um, the, the person says, I'm sure this is far from an isolated incident. Funny, funny they should say that because it was actually precisely because it was an isolated incident that the police records form took so long because they actually had no trace of me. And even though the bus fare is a criminal conviction somehow it hadn't appeared on the police database so it took far longer than it would normally for them to get back to me with with the, the date with the records that I needed to give the US embassy for my visa because because my record was spotless until now. <laughs> Do you have any other favourite comments you'd like to mention? Uh, this one was quite good. Ms. Kelly, Ms. Spelt, M-Z-Z-Z. <laughs> Sounds like a whiny, spoilt crybaby. She didn't buy a ticket, got caught, and now she's throwing her rattle out the pram. If she just fessed up and paid the 60 fine, she wouldn't be in such a state. You've made your bed, Kelly, now lie in it. P.S. Why did the Financial Times let her write for them? She seems hopeless with money. <laughs> Which, you know... As I as I say, you know, I ask myself every day, how am I allowed to write for the Financial Times? And yet here I am. 
Well, we're very glad that you write for the Financial <laughs> Times. Now, now, finally, for anyone um, who's listening and thinking, well, you know, well, what happened? This was resolved. In it the was. End. You I'm are now no longer a criminal. No longer a criminal. Yes. Financial um, crimes. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest kind of headache in this whole thing was actually the bureaucracy the, 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 and the fact that actually, you know, I was told that if I supplied this evidence that that thing would be dropped and it wasn't. And at, then, at, at that point, it, it then became impossible to try and get this thing dropped and to try and get you know, and it actually got worse because they then got um, the Financial Times to actually deduct the pay directly from my paycheck, which was kind of embarrassing for me as well, that they were kind of dragged into it. So it was that the, the real problem was that it was never it was impossible to kind of speak to get through to anyone. I sent all these emails and they were unanswered. Um, but so eventually I did manage to get an appeals hearing. And it got dropped. And that was in June. So it was a really, really long time after this, mm. six months after I'd originally got the, the this letter. Um, and so the £476.50 was refunded. Uh, the criminal conviction was removed. Um, that's no longer, I no longer have a criminal record. Um, but as you said before, the, 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 the money that I spent on the, on the, on the um, flights and my trip to America was obviously lost. Um, so I never got that back. But and what's TFL's final word on the subject? I think TFL gave a comment to one of the tabloids saying we're really sorry that this happened or something. Um, but they don't seem to so far have said that they're going to update their policy about registering, about requiring cards to be registered before they accept them, which I actually think would would help um, everyone because, um, you know, otherwise you're just going to end up in this situation if you don't register your card. Well, thank you very much for coming on The Money Show and explaining what happened to you. Um, it's Jemima Kelly, reporter for FT Alphaville. You can read another piece um, by Jemima in FT Money this weekend um, where she talks about some of the comments and the reactions um, to her piece. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you'd like to get in touch with our team of experts or put a question to us, you can get in touch via email money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter for the latest news updates. Our handle is at FT Money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.